Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, if you will. Matthew chapter 6. We started a series on prayer. We're going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're at the point of prayer. And Jeremy, where is, where is my nephew that just said that? When Jeremy said that my father probably prayed about tying his shoelaces, I had just taken a drink of coffee. And I, seriously, Drew almost had like coffee all over. I had to turn away and put my face down so I didn't spit it out all over everything. Here he comes. Here's the culprit now. But um, it was true. Dad was a man of prayer. Dad prayed. He prayed about everything. And he passed that down. And I, I hope someday when I grow up that I can be a man of prayer like my father and like my mother is right now. Uh, so it's kind of appropriate that we continue in a series on prayer when uh, on the first Sunday that my father is no longer with us. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. If you stand with me. Our series is called Conversations with God. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're now at the point talking about prayer. And we're talking about the kind of prayers that God has uh, not necessarily suggested, but uh, told us that are acceptable to him. Now, this is the Lord's Prayer they're going to be reading, and, and many of you grew up in churches where this was uh, read all the time. Not just Catholic churches, all kinds of churches use the Lord's Prayer. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but the Lord's Prayer is more stylistic than it is liturgical. And what I mean by that is he was laying out a pattern for us to pray, how to pray. Not necessarily to pray this prayer, but the kind of things and the way we should pray. So let's go ahead and read verses 9 through 15. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. You may be seated. We started last week. It's, this is, this seri series on prayer is called Conversations with God. This morning, uh, we started last week talking about honest prayers. Being honest in prayer. I'm uh, going to do a quick review before we get into the next one. I gave you this quote at the beginning of the sermon last week. If you only, play, if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. If you only pray, the only time you ever go to God in prayer is when you're in trouble. Man, you're missing out on so much of what he has for you. And that's the point of this series. Finding out what prayer is supposed to be, what prayer is about, how to pray, the kind of things to pray for. Even most importantly, I believe, is the attitude with which you go to God in prayer. And we're going to be covering a lot of those, a lot of different attitudes. We started last week. Um, talking about prayers of thanksgiving and praise. Uh, Proverbs 15, 29 gave you this verse as well. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. That was an answer to the question, does prayer really matter? Does it really matter whether or not we pray? If, you know, don't want to go too deep into theology, but the, the theological point that God is sovereign or God is in control and God is over everything and rules everything, is true. 
But it's also true that he has given us free will. And he gives us the ability to make choices. You are not a robot. God does not direct, you, you are not directed. You, you, you have a choice. You have a choice in your life. You have a choice to serve. You have a choice to get up in the morning. You have a choice of what to eat. You have a choice of going to the gym or not. You have a choice of going to work. You have a choice in living in a house or living in a tent on the side of the road or underneath a bridge. You have free will. That's where prayer comes in. Because you have the free will to pray or not to pray. The question, though, is does prayer really matter? Does prayer really matter? Is it just an exercise that we go through on a daily or weekly or hourly basis? Or is it something that truly matters to what is going on in life? Now, I told you last week that the answer to that question theologically is, of course it does. The answer to that question biblically is, of course it does. But those are the easy answers. Those are the ones that we learn in Sunday school. Those are the words we learn in Bible study. Those are the ones that are usually preached about, and we amen them, and we, you know, we, we raise our hands and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. But are those, is that truly what, what we need to understand about prayer? Is that truly what, what prayer means? And is that really the answer to the question, does prayer matter? Then I kind of made a turn here, and I'll say this again. Whether or not prayer matters is not your answer to give. Okay? God says it matters. As we saw in Proverbs 15, uh, 29. He hears the prayers of the righteous. God's answer, obviously, to the, that question is a passionate yes. So... If the answer is yes, why do I ask the question again? Because it needs to be personalized. Does prayer matter to you? Does prayer matter to you? Not does it matter in the grand scheme of things, in the macro sense of the word, does prayer matter? Does prayer matter to you? That's where we live. That's where we endure. That's where we struggle. That's where we get angry. That's where we are confused. We need to be able to answer that question for ourselves. You see... The answer to the question, does prayer matter, is absolutely yes. Does prayer change things? Absolutely. And what we're going to be doing in this series in messages on conversations with God is not answer, necessarily answer the question, does prayer matter theologically or biblically, or give you a how-to class on how to pray. We're going to be looking at prayer from what I believe is a practical standpoint. Andrew Murray said, beware in your prayers above everything else of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. Expect unexpected things above all that we ask or think. Don't limit God in prayer. Don't put limitations on God. Can you limit God? Well, the Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. So our actions can put in our in, in the Proverbs verse I read, it says God hears the prayers of the righteous. Jesus said, call to me and I will answer, or in, God said in, in uh, Jeremiah, call to me and I'll answer you. And I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know. That is all predicated on your decision to pray and how to pray.
started talking about prayers of thanksgiving, and I gave you this quote as well from F.B. Meyer. The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. And Dr. David Jeremiah, my mom's current favorite Bible teacher, says no matter what our circumstances, we can find a reason to be thankful. No matter what, that should be our attitude. And that's why Jesus said uh, at the beginning of this prayer, our Father in heaven, in the old King James, hallowed be your name. The first attitude we should have in prayer is an attitude of praise and thanksgiving because God, we say that, you know, we have our own language in church, right? We've got Christian ease, Christian speak. If I say, and some of you don't because you were raised in those fundamental Baptist churches, others uh, do because you were raised in different churches, but if I say to you, God is good, what do you say in return? All the time. And I say all the time. All right, if that's true, do you pray that way? That's, that's a good question. I think that's a fair question. I think it's a good question. If God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, do we pray all the time for all things in every circumstance, in every attitude, in every state that we find ourselves in? Paul says, whatever state I find myself in, I've learned to be content. How can Paul say that? Because Paul knew what it meant to pray for all things at all times. That's what Jesus wants us to do. And that's what we're trying to get across here. Now, closed that out with Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayers of thanksgiving and praise. Brings us to the second one. Now, this one might seem like it follows up in an odd way. But when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, commune in the Lord's table, whatever, whatever you call it, one of the things we do when we read from the Corinthians passage is take a moment and, as Paul wrote to us, examine ourselves. We examine ourselves. We search our hearts. And what that means is we look into our heart and we pray and we ask God if there's anything in our heart that stands between us and him. We confess sin. We do what it takes. We're supposed to take the time there to get ourselves connected to God and take away all distractions to get all things out of the way so that we can come to the Lord's table and celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from a pure heart. Well, these next kind of prayers aren't just for that moment in time. I believe these next to praising God, I believe this next prayer, this next section of prayer is the most important one we have. I think it's incredibly misunderstood. I believe it's incredibly neglected. And I believe the teaching about it is not only ignored in the church today, but it's glossed over and excused because in America, we know in every, in American society today, everybody's a victim, right? Well, that everybody's a victim mentality has crept into the church to where we no longer expect or no longer cause ourselves to take responsibility for our actions. This next group of this next kind of prayer that I believe we should pray with are prayers of repentance. 
Prayers of Repentance. Jack Wellman said this, God cannot fix whoever is first not broken. God cannot fix whoever is first not broken. Now, in the Old Testament, the, comp, the, the concept of repentance, there's several different words that are used in the Hebrew for uh, the word that we use as repentance. But the, the cumulative idea of those words is this, to turn back. We'd call it doing a 180, right? We turn, to turn back. In the New Testament, the word for repentance means a change of thinking. So both words combine to give us an understanding that if we are truly going to repent, we must turn from what we're doing back to what we should be following. Turn from sin back to Jesus. Turn from lethargy back to Jesus. Turn from rebellion back to obedient following of Jesus Christ. Repentance. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 23 says, To take off your former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If we were to take a poll and we were to be completely and totally and truthfully honest, that's where we lose the battle. We just sang a song, this is how I fight my battle. You know where you lose your battle? In your mind. Satan will attack your mind over and over and over and over again. I put a post on Facebook this week, and uh, it was the day before my father passed. And I said, me against the combined forces of darkness isn't a fair fight. You, against the combined forces of darkness, is not a fair fight. But then again, you in the power of God, with the power of God resting on you, and God working in you, and God fighting your battles for you, like, he told, like, like Moses told the children of Israel, well, that's not a fair fight either. Because the victory is yours. No doubt about it. You just have to maybe sometimes endure, continue being faithful. And uh, the other, another song we sing, I'm going to see a victory. Going to God with that understanding and living your life with that understanding. Listen, life may not, life isn't fair and life may not seem much fun. Life may, may be dark and dreary and it may be a burden, it may be a challenge just to get up in the morning and take that first breath for you right now. But you're going to see a victory. You're going to see a victory. And it's not my purpose to, uh, to use my, my father as, a, as an example all through the sermon. Please don't misunderstand me, but the man is such a great illustration in many ways. Tell you what, these last several months have been very tough on my dad. Very difficult on my dad. He saw his victory on Friday morning. Okay? So, 
Understand, our victory is not promised here in this life. That's why we need to have an eternal mindset, an eternal worldview. It may be your lot in life to struggle and deal with difficulty all through life. I'll ask you this question. Is that okay with you? Listen, I'm not thrilled about difficulties in life, struggles in life. I'm not. I don't like them. I don't relish the thought of enduring persecution or struggle. I don't like it. None of, I don't, I shouldn't say all of us or none of us. Most of us don't enjoy that. Yet, we are promised that we, if we will endure those, we'll grow from them, we'll become stronger, and there is a day of victory coming, whether it's here or in eternity. And I guarantee you, the victory, the final victory in heaven overshadows anything and everything you can ever think, think about. Prayers of repentance. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age or this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Be renewed, transformed and renewed in your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Christian, now listen, this is going to be old school, old time gospel hour type of stuff. The problem with the church today, the reason churches are shutting down, the reason uh, we're, we're seeing people wander away and people walk away is because of this. There's too much world in our lives. There's too much world in our lives. That's the plain truth. Oh, well, you know, it's America. I, I like doing these things. I like doing that thing. I ask the question, do you really enjoy going to church? Now, hey, kind of a moot point for everybody here this morning, right? But how do you represent that to people outside of our church or people who are part of our church but don't see the need to really be faithful? Oops. Kind of, kind of went awkward with that one, didn't I? The renewing of your mind. Some of you came to Christ later in life and you had a whole bunch of attitudes and mentalities that you brought with you to salvation. Some of you, you work jobs, okay? You work jobs where you are very, very important in what you do. The problem is with that is many times people who are important out there and know and, and believe that the business can't run without them, and that might be true for you in the job you do, think you come in here and the church can't run without you. And you need to be involved in everything. And it all, it all needs to be you, 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 you. I don't apologize for this next statement, but lose your ego. Jeremy, Jeremy, what a what a great tribute Jeremy gave, gave to his two grandfathers. Uh, my dad, Pastor Dave Chase, and Elwin Lemon, his grandfather on the other side, two men who were very instrumental in this church, in getting this church started. It's awesome, awesome. My dad's no longer here. Neither is Mr. Lemon. 
But we're here this morning. We're in church. You see, my point is this. We're having church without my father. He's not even watching us online. In fact, he's... Now, I know, I don't know how it works, but I know this. Now, my dad isn't really concerned about the cares of this world anymore. And my dad is realizing that this church can get along without him, even if, if, if that even is a thought for him. So if you think that you are so important in the, in the life of this church that the church cannot exist without you, Why don't you give it a try? I would say this. You cannot get along successfully in this life without the church. Oh man, you can, you can go along. You can make a lot of money. You can do this. You can do that. You can do the other thing. But there is not that connection of service with Jesus Christ without a church. You know where you are important? I mean, you're important here. Don't get me wrong. That came out wrong. Sorry. Sorry. Listen, I offended people about four times already. So why not go for five? You're important in prayer. We could use more workers. We could use, obviously, we could use more people. We could use more givers. We could use more people for the ministry of this church. But you know what we need ultimately more than anything? We need more prayer warriors. And in order to be a true effective prayer warrior, in order to be effective in your walk with Jesus, in order to be effective in your ministry and service, and in order to be the best and most powerful connection and uh, addition to this church, should first start and does start and will start when you start going to God in prayer. And after we thank God and praise Him for His goodness, my current favorite song is The Goodness by Toby Mac. I just love that. I love the groove of that song, but I love the words. If you don't know it, listen to it. But after praise, after saying the goodness of God is what, is what sustains me, the goodness of God is why I'm here, the goodness of God is why I praise Him. And after you're done praising I believe the very next thing that we should do is make sure that there's nothing between us and God. That there's nothing that is blocking the conversation between us and Him. Humanly speaking, we know what that, that, that's like, right? There are people, maybe there are people in your life right now that you just don't talk to and don't talk to you because there's a wedge between you two. Something happened, somebody said something, somebody didn't say something, somebody didn't do anything. Listen, I've got a lot of pastor friends that have been texting me and uh, messaging me. And and some of you may be thinking about, you know, planning your time to come and share this these two services uh, honoring my dad with us, but you don't know how you're going to juggle it. Because you've got work and you've got family. I get that. My, my mom and the rest of us, 
We have no expectation on you to put your lives aside. We know that you loved my dad. We know that you loved my mom. We know that you love us. And I'm not saying don't show up. Please don't misunderstand me. What I'm trying to get at is there is a right way to do things and there's a right way to connect and there's a right way to go to God in prayer. And the most important thing after praising is prayer is a prayer of repentance. That would bring us to this question. What is true repentance? What does true repentance look like? What does it really mean to repent? You can be like the little boy who was sent to the corner. I've used this illustration before. His mother, mom sent him to the corner and he turns to his mother. He says, you know, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Still the rebel, right? Still the rebel. Many of us are that way in our walk with Jesus. We know what he wants, man. We know what he can do. We know he wants all of us, but truth be told, we don't want to give that up. We'll give God some of it, but we're not going to give all of it. When what we truly need to do is repent of our sin and open ourselves up to him. It's not necessarily going to be an overnight transformation and change. But repentance is turning around. Repentance is changing your mind, changing your thought patterns. Book of Philippians says, whatever things are true, honest, pure, uh, virtuous, if they're uh, of good report, if there's any virtue or any praise, think on these things. But too many times we think on what's going on in the government. We think about how we're going to make ends meet because the prices are so high. We think about this. We think about that. We think about everything before we think about God and what he can do for us and what he wants to do for us and how important it is for us to have a relationship with him. Prayers of repentance. What is true repentance? Psalm 51. Psalm 51. For those of you who know your Bible and are students of the Bible, uh, you've probably read this psalm before. Psalm 51 is David's great prayer of repentance. David had sinned. He had an affair. A child came from that affair. It was going to be obvious. So he had Bathsheba was the woman's. He had Bathsheba's husband killed. Oh, he didn't kill him. He didn't hire someone to kill him, but he told the captain of the army to place him in the very front in the heat of the battle, knowing that that was where he would be, his life would be taken. And it happened. Listen, man. That's pretty rough stuff. David, a man after the very heart of God, had an affair and then had, his, had the husband of the woman he had an affair with killed. He signed his death warrant. Also, he could cover up his sin and have a woman that wasn't his. Sounds kind of familiar, but with where life is today, things, doesn't it? I mean, take stock of the moment, folks. We live in a crazy world. We live in, an, we live in what Seinfeld would call bizarro world, where up is down, down is up, good is bad, bad is good, right is wrong, and wrong is right. 
And we get caught up in that. In fact, many times we as Christians defend the sins of others. Listen, let me make something really clear. I really don't care what you do with your life. What, what choices people make. I, my pastor's heart cares. I care about the destruction you'll bring on yourself and your family and others. But I'm not resp responsible for your choices and I'm not responsible for the choices of people out there. So you make whatever choice you want. Just understand you're accountable for it. You're responsible for it. Choices and decisions matter. And your choice to justify the sin of the world, well, that matters. When you don't, I'm not talking about walking around with signs and picketing and this and that and the other thing. But I'm also not talking about openly accepting sin. Openly acknowledging and saying that it's okay. And then doing your dead level best to make sure that the church does that as well. I said in my Bible study a week before last, there's a phrase we'll never, as long as I'm the pastor, we'll never have on our sign. Open and affirming. Not that we're not. We're open to everybody. But I don't affirm anybody's lifestyle. Not my job. And I definitely don't advertise our church just to make people feel comfortable. Maybe you're not feeling real comfortable this morning. Maybe you're watching us online not feeling real comfortable this morning with what I'm talking about. I don't think repentance should be a comfortable topic. To be honest with you. When we have to repent... What we're meaning is that we have done something against God and his plan and his will that is wrong. That we need to confess and ask for forgiveness from. What is true repentance? Psalm 51. We're going to start with verses 1 through 4. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Boom. Boom, right there, man. You think it's okay to live outside of the will of God, to do your own thing? That God just accepts everybody the way they, that the, the, accepts all Christians the way they are, and God winks and turns his head away from sin and doesn't really care? David called it his rebellion. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin in the life of a Christian is rebellion against God and his plan for your life. And that doesn't mean having an affair and murdering somebody. Listen, if you're causing strife and disharmony and disunity in the church, if you're keeping people, because of your attitude and actions, if people don't want to get involved, if people don't want to come back because of you, because of your attitude and actions that are not honoring to God, guess what? That's rebellion. We're called to be unifiers. We're called to work together. Not to have our own kingdom within these walls. David said, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Boom. Another boom right there. One thing we struggle with and the reason we struggle with it is because we don't want to face it but we live with it every day. Our sin is always in front of us. 
We see it, we know it, we're ashamed of it, we're embarrassed by it, or we've become cold to it. And we, it's not, sometimes it's not that we don't see the need of it, we're just too embarrassed to go to God about it. Sometimes we're too broken and hurt to go to God about it. By the way, that's why the Bible tells us to lift up the hands that hang down. That's why the Bible tells us to pray for each other in the church. Man, I'll tell you what, the greatest thing I've experienced this week is those texts and those phone calls and those messages and those comments. We're praying for you and your family. It's good stuff. It's sustaining stuff. It's strengthening stuff. One of the reasons we don't go to God in repented prayer is because we don't like to admit it. We don't like to face it. It's always there. We're always conscious of it, but we don't want to face it and we don't want to admit it to God. Can I just give you an answer? He is sovereign. He already knows. He already knows. And his arms are wide open waiting for you to come and say, I'm sorry. Then he says this, and here's another point. Man, there is so much. Oof, I, could preach, I, I could preach a whole series just on these four verses. He says something that it's very important for you as an individual who are struggling, struggling to get right with God. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, this is for you if you're struggling to come back to church because you think people are going to judge you, because people are going to make a big deal of you not having been here for a while, whatever. And this is for you who may be a person that makes other people feel that way. David says, David, the king, now listen, David just wasn't the, the guy that um, you know, takes scrap to the, to the yard for you. David just wasn't um, a, a quote-unquote normal member of society. David was the king of Israel. And this is what he said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Stop trying to make everybody else's business yours. Stop trying. I want to be able to pray more effectively. No, you're just a busybody and you want information. Some of you want, are busybodies, you want information because you can store that up and use it at a later time. David said clearly, against you and you only have I sinned. Some of you can't get over something because somebody hasn't asked forgiveness. You know what? The only person you're hurting is yourself. As the eagles said, get over it. Your sin is between you and God. Now, going and talking to somebody later on, getting things right with them, that's all in God's time. But we're not talking about repairing human relationships right now. We're talking about repairing a relationship between you and God. And the sin that you've committed, the sin that you're so desperately afraid to admit, the sin that you're so desperately afraid to go to God and take accountability for, the sin that is keeping you from fruitfulness and productivity and growth as a Christian, God already knows and it's only between you and him. You don't have to. One of the worst things we did as evangelical churches in the past was when, and it was always, 
if a, if a teenage girl got pregnant, right? We'd always have the girl get up on the platform and apologize. Or if a, a t- we and by the way, we didn't usually do that with adults. You're never going to get me to do that, okay, right? Because an adult man probably going to walk out the door. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. But we always picked on teenagers in those situations. And God help you if you wouldn't get up here and openly apologize to the church. Church, they haven't done anything to you. Oh, but I'm so hurt. Why? The same God that's going to forgive them is the same God that can help you get over it. And understand, it's only between them and God. So we need to know that our repentance is between us and God. You don't have to come up on the platform and apologize. You don't have to put out a Facebook post or tweet on Twitter or put something on Instagram or make a great dance video for TikTok. You just need to go to God in prayer with a repentant spirit and a repentant heart. Because David tells us that it's only God that we've sinned against. That's the only one that matters. So you are, but, but then he goes on, and we're going to cover all this in just a minute. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Another boom. Yes, your sin is between you and God, but your sin is still sin. And your sin needs to be dealt with. If you want God to bless your life, if you want God to uh, use you in a manner that's greater than you, if you want to pray the prayer of Jabez and say, God, increase my territory, increase my influence, man, you better learn how to confess to God. You better learn how to, what we used to call, keep short accounts with God. And I believe as soon as you realize you've done something wrong, you need to confess it. Get that sin right with God. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. David gives us an under, a little bit more insight, or the psalmist gives us a little more insight on a way to go to God. Sometimes you know there's a, a struggle between you and him. You know there's something between you and him, but you, you can't quite put your finger on it. Psalmist tells us here, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in everlasting, lead me in the everlasting way. Search me, O God. Know my hearts, know my thoughts. Try me, show me, reveal to me. Have you ever prayed that way? Have you ever felt that the conversation and the communication between you and God is blocked and you don't know why? So you go to him and say, God, would you reveal to me what the problem is? Listen, man, I've had to do that in relationships with other people. I've had to say, God, I don't know why there's a problem here. I don't know why there's a disconnect. I don't know why it seems awkward and uncomfortable when I'm with this person, when it used to be sweet fellowship. And they haven't done anything to me. And I'm wondering if I've done something to them. If my actions... Paul says very clearly that we need to be careful not to be a stumbling block to other people. You may not understand or know what you're doing 
or what you did, and it may not, the power of that may not rest upon you until you ask God to search your heart and show you the wicked way that's in you. Great opportunity for growth. That's what prayers of confession are, prayers of repentance. They're opportunities to repair a relationship with God and to grow. So how do we pray? How do we, how do we take the Lord's Prayer and how do we take Psalm 139 and Psalm 51 and how do we practically model repentant prayer? Is it really 1115 already? Holy cow. Thank you, former associate pastor, Zach Chase. Wow. Wow. True repentance is going to God in prayer with, first of all, an understanding of sin. An understanding of sin. In verses 1 through 4, David references his sin five times. In that short paragraph, David references his sin five times. David didn't have to have somebody lead him down the path of where he went wrong. David knew what he had done. Martin Luther said the recognition of sin is the beginning of repentance. Knowing you have a problem is the first step in dealing with it, right? Secondly, and we're going to go through these quickly. Secondly, we need to go to prayer. Going to God in a repentant spirit is this. Being truly sorry for your sin. Being truly sorry for your sin. Not sorry because you got caught. Not sorry because you think it it looks bad on on your resume. But truly being sorry for your sin because you broke your fellowship with God. Being truly sorry for your sin. Now this isn't going to be on the screen because I added this last night. Heaven won't be filled with perfect people. It will be populated with imperfect, broken people who realize that they were broken and turn to Jesus for their repair. Heaven won't be filled with perfect people. It's going to be filled with those of us imperfect, broken people who realize that He is the only one that can put us back together. The next step in repentant prayer is taking responsibility for your actions. And I know for some of you younger folks, that's a foreign concept that's being touted in society. Because we are in a a society where everybody can play the victim and nobody has to take responsibility. Man, I'm so thankful I was raised by parents who taught me and my sisters and my brother to take responsibility for your actions. In fact, my dad, you can can talk to all four. My brother will be here about 2.30 today. He's driving up from South Carolina with his wife. And each one of us will tell you that my mother and my father taught us, raised us to be individuals, independent thinkers, and people who took responsibility for our actions. Not so that we could be great in business, but so that we could be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Because if you can't take ownership of your sin in your private life between you and God, how in the world are you going to take ownership for your actions outside of it? You're always going to try to find a way out of it. You're always going to try to find a way to blame somebody else. 
Take responsibility for your actions. Watchman Nee, who is an amazing uh, Chinese Christian pastor, um, just an, uh, an amazing story, said this, people who cover their faults and excuse themselves do not have a repentant spirit. And John Wooden, great basketball coach for UCLA, said, you are not a failure until you start blaming others for your mistakes. True repentant prayer is going to God and saying, I did this. I am wrong. I'm taking ownership of this. I need forgiveness. And then another toughie here. Accepting the consequences. David says in verse 4, you're right when you judge. You're right when you chastise me or correct me. But always remember, God's correction is for a purpose. Being willing to accept the consequences. George Washington Carver said 90, 99% of all failures come from people who have a habit of making excuses. <clears throat> I believe firmly that when you go to God with a repentant spirit, what you're going to be doing is, is saying, I did this, I caused this, and I own this. Taking responsibility for it. No fun. No fun at all. But it's the right thing to do. And if we want to truly be repentant towards God for our sin, we will own it. Oh, there may be a contrary. Listen, I'm, we don't live life in a vacuum. And I understand there are contributing factors and even contributing people. But we know what we did. I heard somebody talk uh, about divorce and a lot of, lot of psychologists, a lot of uh, specialists, a lot of everybody that I've read about it say that divorce is not always 100% somebody else at one party. Divorce is a, it may only be 1% your fault, but it's still partly your fault. Own your actions. Take responsibility for your actions. Accept the consequences of your actions. What, what next? Now that we've shown that we're truly sorry, we've taken responsibility, we're willing to accept the consequences, I believe we need to pray making no demands. Make no demands. Humbly seek restoration. I'm going to turn back to Psalm 51 real quick. <clears throat> I didn't print this out. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Listen to what David says here. I thought I could fill enough to where I could get to it before the silence. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. David says this. Oh, I'm, that's Isaiah. All right. Sorry. It's on the screen? Oh, it's on the screen. It's right there. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence 
or take your Holy Spirit from me. Make no demands. Humbly seek restoration. That's what we need. What you need, what you repent for, is the restoration of God to a right relationship with Him. You want to know why there's a, why there's a, a struggle between you and God? You want to know why you can't break through? You want to know why you don't feel joy in your soul and the joy of your salvation? The first question to ask is, is there something between me and God? Have I not asked for forgiveness? Do I need to be restored? And I'll bet you the answer is yes. Create in me a clean heart, God. Because the one I have right now isn't so clean. Renew a right spirit within me right now, God, because the spirit I have right now is one of anger, one of malice, one of defeat, one of discouragement, one of apathy. <clears throat> and I need a right spirit within me. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me, God. Please, don't remove your favor from my life. Don't remove your power from my life. Don't take your hand of blessing off me. Don't take your hand of friendship away from me. Please, God, forgive me for my sin. Restore to me, he goes on to say, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Give me back the joy of my salvation. Was there a time? Listen, I know we all walk difficult roads and the burden is heavy. And nowadays it is just so tough to walk as a Christian. Because you're going to get hit by somebody. But David said, I want the joy of my salvation. And we always stop at that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Give me back the joy of my salvation. David asks God to sustain him and to give him a willing spirit. A willing spirit for what? Service, ministry, getting involved, helping others, doing your best, moving on to the next right thing. Putting together a string of walk, uh, of a way of walk that moves from faith to faith, from expression of faith to expression of faith. That's how we move from point of growth to point of growth. By the way, Jeremiah 17, 14 says, Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. He's our healer, but then Galatians 6, 1. Galatians 6, 1 puts the, the shoe on the other foot for those of us who are outside dealing with someone who comes to us repenting. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual. Okay, he says, what he's saying is, those of you who understand what it means to be a true Christian and truly follow God, here's what he says about that relationship when they come to try to repair the relationship with you. Restore that person in a spirit of gentleness and meekness, considering yourself, because one day you might be in that position too. There's a whole lot of things that we play around with and pet sins and pet conditions and things that we judge other people for. I would say that, can I just, can I just say this? Um, remember that about me, my wife, 
and my kids. Okay? Remember that about us. Because I'm just human. You can see my arm, man. I've, I've, we've got Lala. Beautiful, beautiful dog. She's as big as a house now. Five months old. She is. Abe, she, but she's wonderful, man. I love this dog to death. But she jumps, and I'm teaching her how to stay down. But my arms are filled with, those are, those are not from, you know, doing yard work. That's from my dog. <laughs> Jumping up on me, scratching me, and playing chew toy with my arm. We're not a perfect family. I never claimed to be. My family never claims to be perfect. I'm going to disappoint you at some point in your life. At some point of, some, some point of the time that you're here in this church, I will disappoint you. I guarantee you. I'm, I'm going to make mistakes, man. That, I, I own the fact that there are people that have left this church because of my actions. I take that full responsibility for that. And I can't expect anybody to do anything, but I would say, please, please follow the teachings of Scripture and restore us, okay, in a spirit of gentleness. Be spiritual. Don't, don't go after us. Restore us. I'm only human. All of us. Don't drive people away just because they're not perfect. Love them back to Jesus. Restore them back to Jesus. That's the model for us to follow with others. Lastly, true repentance is this. Change your behavior. Change your behavior. If it was wrong to do yesterday, it's wrong to do today, and it's wrong to do tomorrow. Sin is sin. And if it was wrong before, it's wrong now. We do not have progressive truth. Wrong is wrong and right is right. And you know, we're all, we're all grown-ups. We know what's right and wrong. Turn around, man. Turn around. Turn away from your sin. Listen, I know that we're going to fall. I know we're going to struggle. That's what support systems are for. That's what churches are for, to help us through the difficult times. But man, I'll tell you what, you know who cannot be helped? The person that intentionally goes back to doing what they're doing that's wrong. People slip up. People struggle. People make mistakes. People, to think that we're all too strong for Satan is just foolish. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fall. We're all going to have struggles. But folks, can we please restore people? Can we please not hold people to an unreachable and unattainable standard? And quite honestly, a standard that you would not hold yourself to. You know what I'm saying? First Corinthians 5.17 sums it up. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. That's our goal. 
That's the pattern. That's what's supposed to happen for us. An old southern preacher I heard one time said this, if you is what you was, you ain't. If you is what you was, you ain't. If there is no change coming, if you don't even have the desire to change, maybe the change you need is the change of families because you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior because the Bible says that once you accept Christ as your Savior, you now have the Holy Spirit as a guide who will lead you into all truth and help you navigate life and will convict you of sin and draw you to repentance and desire you to change your ways. Prayers of repentance. Following right after prayers of praise. Why? So that we can keep ourselves close to Jesus. So that when he says, this is the play for you, or it's your turn to take, pick up the bat and, and hit for the team, you're ready. That's what we should desire. Let's pray. For, Father, thank you so much for your love and your compassion and your grace and your goodness. God, thank you for your strength. Thank you for all that you've done for us. God, this message today on repentance, God, it's a, it's a tough one because we don't like to admit sometimes we're too ashamed. God, would you help us to get beyond those things and help us to desire to live for you in sweet, close fellowship. And God, one last thing. Thank you for the man that got this church going, sustained it, and made it his heart for so many years. Thank you because I am a life that was changed. And I appreciate it. And God, if you can get a word in edgewise with my dad, would you tell him we love him? In your name we pray. Amen.